love riding my bike. I love running. I don't care what they think about it. I love it. At that point, when I knew I was going to win, chills just went up and down my entire body. I don't believe there are any good or bad foods. Food is food. I still feel so passionate about getting that record that I'm like, I'm just going to do it. As an athlete, I was like, what's my story or what's your story? What can you learn from it? And what can you teach people? Welcome to the Iron Women Podcast. I'm Alyssa Gadeski, and I'm here with my co-host, Haley Chura. And Haley, you're going to have to really check me today on to make sure that all the words I'm saying are coming out of my mouth and making any sort of sense, because I did race a 24-hour adventure race this weekend, and I managed to get seven hours of sleep, a little bit less, yet last night, um, kind of in the middle of traveling home and things like that. And I'm not entirely sure my brain is functioning at 100% today, but hence why it took me like, I feel like 10 seconds of sitting here before I even started talking on the podcast today because I was trying to remember exactly what I was supposed to be doing. Did you forget your name? (laughs) Yeah, basically I was like, I think this is how I usually start it if I start talking. But um, if it sounds a little different today to our listeners, then I just apparently decided to switch it up. So wait, tell us about this adventure race. I think we alluded to it a little bit in the outro of last week's episode. We knew you had a 24-hour adventure race. Where was it? And how did you do? So it was in the like Shenandoah Valley area of Virginia. So kind of my old stomping grounds, which was really excited. It was a race that's been going on, I want to say for almost a decade now, but maybe not quite that long. But, um, you know, and I used to look up and look up the race and see about it. And I was like, oh, the race looks super cool but I don't have a mountain bike. And I also don't know how to mountain bike. And I also don't canoe. So I guess I'll never do this race. And then finally, now here I am able to do this race that I have wanted to do for a few years. So um, it's called the Shenandoah Epic 24-Hour Adventure Race down in Virginia um, in like the mountain range of the Massanutten Mountains, which people might remember from the pandemic time um, was like, I went on a three-day backpacking trip in those mountains. So I actually know the the trails in the mountains there pretty well. Um, and I raced with my boyfriend, Matt, and our friend, Jim. Uh, we raced as like a three-person co-ed team, which is the premier division for adventure racing usually. Um, it's kind of like the, the one that like nationals is made up of teams of three people co-ed um racing and so that is how we're we're trying to structure it when we do adventure racing now and it was 24 hours there would be trekking or running or hiking however you want to travel by foot whatever speed and you feel is appropriate for what you're doing um there would be some paddling some canoeing and mountain biking and there were seven legs i believe so you only paddled once but then you trekked and mountain biked several other times, kind of alternating through the day, through the 24 hours. So, yeah. Okay. It, I, I don't, I'm not familiar with Jim, but is Jim the guy who got frostbite when he went hiking <laughs> with you? And uh, so there was a couple of months ago, you showed me a picture of a, one of your friend's feet and they looked very, very, very bad. This is a, oh, you found another one. So that guy didn't make the cut and you had the frostbite guy didn't make the cut. And now you've already kicked him to the curb with his frostbite and you found Jim. So Mark is the guy that got the frostbite. Mark's actually super, also a super, Jim is also a super experienced adventure racer, but Mark, um, his toes are doing well. I don't think I talked about that too much on the podcast because when it happened, we really weren't sure what was going to happen with his toes after that adventure. Um, but he, he is like, 
healed up pretty well. He actually just ran some race across the across England. So he's well enough to run across England now, which is really good for him. Um, but no, Jim is, I met him through adventure racing actually in 2018 when, or in 20, like when I was starting to do the navigation races, the row game. So Jim like saved my, uh, friend Courtney and I, in our first row game, we were totally lost and had no clue what we were doing. We ran, we ran into Jim's team and ended up spending the race with them and have been friends ever since. And it was our, the first time I got to do adventure racing with Jim. Um, so that was, that was really fun. We had a blast out there and, um, was they were able to, you know, learn a lot. He's a really good navigator. So he was able to back up Matt on some of the navigation. I took the map twice and we immediately got lost. I think both times I managed to do, um, not totally my fault, but little exaggeration there, but, um, I wasn't doing too much of the navigating in this particular race. Okay. Well, if anyone wants to know like how to make friends, um, maybe getting lost in the woods is a good way. If someone is lucky enough to find you, you'll be long, long friends. Did you win? Oh no. So we got, well, actually I was just looking, um, we're trying to figure out, we thought we were fifth, but maybe we were fourth. So we were just (laughs) off the podium either way. Um, but there were really good teams. Like it was a really strong field and we were definitely in the mix competing against, um, you know, the top teams really in the country, um, like Rootstock Racing, who um, Abby Perkis is on Rootstock. She wasn't racing with the team for this particular race, but um, Rootstock is just really well known. They're a really good team. They did take the win. They had a really good day out there. Um, but Haley, I was going to say there were 300 people. There was like um, 300 people racing this race. Like a hundred like teams? Race now, like a hundred right? teams. So Yeah. Um, probably a little bit more. Cause I think some teams were like two people. So, um, I think I want to say there was like 120 teams or something, but, um, it was really cool to be usually when I've done a few, like the handful of adventure races I have done, you're out kind of in the middle of nowhere with like not a lot of contact with other teams every now and then you see someone, but this was really cool because the course was pretty linear. So like everyone was often generally going in similar places in the same direction. And you got to see a lot of teams. I don't know. It was like, it just felt like so many people were racing. I was really excited to see the sport kind of progressing and getting, you know, maybe it's always been this big at that race. I don't know, but um, it was fun to do that kind of a race and to have that kind of environment with so many people racing and, and to, get to see like how everyone else approaches things. So, so it was really cool. It was a very fun weekend, but definitely had no sleep during the race. Um, and then we, this is the other thing about adventure racing I've decided is kind of wacky is no one really you're allowed. I mean, you have to, you just get in your car and you leave afterwards. So you're basically sending 300 people who haven't slept in, through the night, like into their cars to drive however long it takes them to, <laughs> to get home. And I mean, yes, it's up to us all to be responsible and to be safe, but it was hard. I took the first driving shift and whew, I had to like at 90 minutes, I was like, you guys, I reached my limit. Like this is no longer safe to be driving and I need to to swap out. And luckily Matt and Jim had been napping and they were able to do a couple 90 minute shifts. And then we got ourselves to New Jersey at least yesterday. So that was good. But even this morning when we got up super early to get Matt back for like 8am work, it was I was driving and I was like, man, I still don't feel like I should necessarily be operating a vehicle at this moment. So, um, yeah, it's funny to me that that's like allowed and no one really talks about it too much in adventure racing. I feel like I need to be the giving people like 
not sobriety tests, but like sleep deprivation tests before they all drive away. Cause I worry. Yeah. I, I do. I am not cut out for any part of adventure racing, including the drive home. There is no way I could do that. I would have to like book a hotel nearby for like our campsite or something for like a couple days, but, um, congratulations on your fourth or fifth place finish. And, uh, you know, that is, it is fun to have these races come happening. We are in race season. We have St. George Ironman world championships, Utah Kona less than two weeks away. And, uh, you know, all of our listeners have a couple more days to enter, to win a complimentary entry to the 2022 Verizon New York city triathlon. So the race is actually happening on July 24th, but if you want to enter to win, uh, you can win either a slot into the triathlon. It's an Olympic distance triathlon or the duathlon, which I imagine is a Olympic distance duathlon. Uh, you can head over to livefeisty.com forward slash giveaways forward slash NYC try and enter there. Again, that entry will close on April 30th. So if you're listening to this podcast, this episode, the day it comes out, I think comes out on April 28th. So you have a couple days to enter, but um, fun to enter a free entry. Maybe, maybe they'll make a friend, you know, and then that's always fun. That's how you and I met. Is that a race? Oh, kind of. And the internet. (laughs) Kind of. Yeah. But I feel like now it could still be the internet and then a race for people. So, so yeah, totally. Um, but Haley, I was going to say, so we're not going to do mailbag mailbag this week because my brain's not firing on all cylinders. And we have a really nice, um, pretty long interview coming up for everyone to listen to, but you guys, you can still send in questions for the mailbag to ironwomenpodcast at gmail.com. And, but Haley, the one thing I didn't want to forget to ask you about this week was your Utah Kona workout of the week, if you have one. So like, where are you in the the process? Are you like starting to taper? Are you like fit just smelling the taper? I'm on day one of taper. taper And I I found that out. (laughs) I didn't actually know this, (laughs) but, um, Betty Janelle, good friend of mine, friend of the podcast, um, went for a swim this morning with my coach, Matthew Rose and asked him when I was starting taper. And he said, today was day one. (laughs) So that is how I, that is how I found out. I didn't necessarily feel that different today, but I guess we're only on day one of taper, but, um, I know Utah Kona race or workout of the week. Actually, I want to run. I'm just going to say like, I don't know if this is even a specific run, but I was doing Utah Kona, uh, Ironman world championships in St. George. I think it's going to feature a fairly, um, hilly run course. And I think they say 1400 feet of climbing with, I think it's going to be long sustained climbs. Um, which I like, I live in Montana, obviously I run that kind of terrain quite frequently. So I feel like it will suit me. So, but we've had some pretty terrible weather. And so this past weekend it was snowing. I just, I couldn't, I was not going to go run on trail. I like to run on trails and stuff and and running in the snow, it's just muddy mess. And so I ran on the treadmill and I did some like simulated hills, but I was doing some like hills and then kind of easing from a hill, which I was doing at 3% incline into Ironman like effort, which on the treadmill for me was 650 pace, um, which is about three hour Ironman or three hour marathon, which one of my goals for my career is to break three hours in uh, a marathon off the bike and 305 is the closest I've been. That's what I was in Ironman Coeur d'Alene last year. Do I think I can do that in St. George on a 1400 foot of elevation? I mean, might as well go for it, right? We'll see. Maybe. 
<laughs> I don't know. Iron Man's a long day. And um, I, I mean, it, I don't know how many more of these I have in me, so I might as well give it a try. And then I'll see once I get to that first hill, we'll see. But anyway, so I was practicing kind of doing a simulated hill into Iron Man effort. And um, so I was running 650 pace, but the exciting part of this was that my heart rate, Alyssa, at like 650 pace was in the like low 140s, which is like really good for me. Like that is actually probably what I hold during an Ironman marathon. And so I was just excited. Like, I feel like that's a good indication that I am ready to run that pace. Um, and that was again, coming off of a, a hill. Like, I think I was doing like two minutes at 3%, a little bit harder. And then into a couple minutes at, um, 650 at 1% incline. And so I, you know, and kind of doing a progression like that. And anyway, I was just really excited to see my heart rate in that area. And I know that that doesn't necessarily like equate to a workout that other people can do, but <laughs> there it is. I mean, that's a fun, it's a fun treadmill session to do like a hill. So do like two minutes or even 30 seconds at like an incline 3% and then back off the pace actually, and back off the incline to a little bit more of your marathon or Ironman pace or even 70.3 pace, and then hold that for like, you know, anywhere from maybe two to four minutes and kind of doing a longer interval that way, um, I think can be a way to make that Ironman pace feel a little more sustainable. Or if you're like working on a hilly course, like working on carrying that momentum up and over the hill kind of, but without actually going outside onto a hill. That's awesome. No, I think for, well, we never... I don't believe we ever promised our listeners the, that they would be able to replicate and they would want to replicate all of your workouts. So this is definitely more of just a window into what training for a world championships looks like for you. And um, that is fun. I love the treadmill. I love hills on the treadmill. I love anything you can do on the treadmill. So um, I think that's a fun way to mix it up, you know, and especially if someone doesn't love the treadmill and just running on it like that, that it helps pass the time when you have little chunks to do like simulated hills and then a surge and that kind of thing like that. So cool. Well, it sounds like you're super fit and enjoying day one of that taper. Hopefully maybe tonight you can like relax with a nice glass of hot noon and be like, oh, yeah, finally, <laughs> it's finally here. Um, cause if, if you live in the Northeast, you're still drinking hot noon. <laughs> <laughs> we actually so I don't know nice, how it is in Bozeman. <laughs> we had nice weather today, but no, like I said, it's been a little bit of a rough return from Tucson, but I'm like, you know, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm feeling good and just doing everything I can at this point to stay healthy, you know, injury-free, illness-free. That is hard to do these days. So that is my number one priority. So sleep, like you said, some hot noon and some sleep. That is, uh, those are my goals for the next week and a half for sure. And Haley, I mentioned we do have a great interview coming up. And today we talked to Carrie Lester. Carrie's an Australian triathlete. She's an Ironman champion, a 70.3 champion. I counted at least 12 Ironmans that she has won, um, including Mount Tremblant, Cozumel, Embraman, Coeur d'Alene. Um, you know, she has definitely zeroed in on the courses that suit her. And she talks to us a little bit about that evolution and how she did that. Um, Carrie's based out of San Diego. She is also the co-creator and head coach with Keep It co-head coach with Keep It Simple Coaching with her husband Scott DeFilippis. So we talked to her about that. We find out even her 100 meter and 200 meter track times running 
you guys will want to hear these from when Carrie was growing up. Um, all about building the Keep It Simple Coaching, also called Kiss Coaching. I think I refer to it in the interview. Um, pro and age group squad. And we find out what 2022 is shaping to look like, shaping up to look like for Carrie. So really fun chat with her. We'll have that for you next. Hi, Carrie. Welcome to the Iron Women podcast. Thank you, ladies. Thanks for having me. So we're chatting for with you um, a few weeks after a very big race in the North American long course scene, Oceanside 70.3. And so you opted not to race this one, but given that it was a hometown race for you, you were on the sidelines cheering for friends and athletes that you coach with KISS Coaching. So how was the day out there for your team? We, uh, we had a great day. We actually had a really good uh, number of athletes in town racing. We had a uh, uh, we have a pretty big crew up in Sacramento area, so they they were in town for the race, and then we had a lot of athletes as well from the East Coast come over and um, and do the race. So it was um, everyone had a really great day. Everyone had, uh, I guess, the day that you would expect to race, you know, this early in the year. So it's it was the first race of the season for a lot of those athletes, and um, everyone did really well. We had. Um, Two of our uh, the women that I train with here in in San Diego, they were both racing professionally. Molly Hebda and Britt Bock, so they they had really good races. I think Molly was twelfth, and Brittany that was her first uh, race, seventy point three race as a professional, and she did she did really well. She's um, she just did Ironman Texas actually on the weekend as well, and she was tenth. So. Um, Oceanside was like a, a training race for her and, uh, yeah, she did really well. So a training race against I, the best competition in the world. I know, <laughs> I know. <laughs> and then we, we, get to off and I know. we, we certainly gave her the, um, the rundown of what to expect, you know, in the race at, at that time of year, and particularly when you're in a really heavy Ironman, you know, training block, you certainly don't want to be lining up against the best in the world when they're, they're tapered to race and you're far from it. So she did, she did really well. So, um, but yeah, I, I didn't race. I was, I was never planning on racing Oceanside, um, this year. I raced it in October, which was great. That was, I much preferred racing this race in October. I think it was, it was a little warmer. Um, we actually had, it was a little cooler than I expected for October. I think normally October here is like the perfect month, but it wasn't that perfect. <laughs> but um, yeah, March, I, I have raced this, uh, I've raced Oceanside a couple of times in March and it's always been one of the worst races of my career. <laughs> so happy to sit it out. <laughs> It's too early. It's it's just too early in the year for me, and I just I always find you always, it, it, you can't help it but go into that race with you know expectations. And like you said, it's like always an absolutely stacked start list, and it's like just an absolute. It's demoralizing. <laughs> well, you obviously make up for it. You you definitely warm up through the year, and we'll get more to your racing career. But I also just want to like this is a unique position that you're in where you are racing professionally and also coaching your competitors. And what is that like? Well, it's, it's, I actually, at first I wasn't really sure how, how I would feel about it, you know, when I was out there on, on the race course with them. Um, and unfortunately I've only been able to race. I think I've, I've only been able to race Molly once and that was in Oceanside. And 
unfortunately she had just come off an injury so she had no intention of actually finishing the race she just did the swim bike um and she she pulled out before she could do the run but we actually rode we swam together and rode together and it was so cool to have your teammate there with you through the whole race and i really haven't experienced that uh much for a long time i i had some race teammates back when i was with team tbb but um i wasn't around those girls you know as much as i am the girls that we have here so and same with Brittany. i raced her in, in cozumel that was her first pro ironman same thing we swam together and that was that was awesome um yeah i think for me i like to know that um i've influenced them some way in their training and uh, like I feel like I I have been a mentor to them and to have them out there with me racing and I can try and guide them through areas of the race where they're not as, as experienced as I am and yeah, I just try and give them encouragement and yeah, give them advice while we're racing. So I'm kind of, I'm training them while I'm out there racing them, which is really weird, but it's cool. Hillary and I overlap for one race in, you know, when she was still racing Ironman and I had just started racing Ironman as a, as a, uh, well, maybe I was still racing age group and I was going, maybe not. I don't know. I would have to look, but all I remember is she was like trying to give me coaching advice as we were like, and yeah. I was like, don't worry about me. Like you go, go, go. I know. It's just, it's instinct. I think like we want to, yeah, I, I want to give them advice if I can, whether it's going to make a difference to them or not, whether, whether they want to hear it or not. Um, but yeah, I think. I don't know. I like to think that I've been a mentor to them in, in any way. So yeah, it's, it's super cool. And I think now that I'm a lot older in the sport, I guess, and more mature, I, I don't, um, I mean, it's competition, but it's not, you know, it's, um, it's just, it's a different, it's, it's more of a, yeah, like a mentorship. And we alluded to your your recent racing, but you you've talked in some of your victory speeches in Coeur d'Alene about the 2020 pandemic season and your expectations or your expectations for 2020 and then what actually happened, um, the pandemic, and then how you came back from that in 2021. And you had this incredible year. You won in Ironman Coeur d'Alene, a race that Alyssa and I were also in, Surface of the Sun Hot, incredibly difficult. Um, you followed that up with a win at Emberman in August. You also raced in the Collins Cup. Then you came back to third place in Cozumel in November. So you had a really incredible year coming out of that you know, disappointment of not being able to race in 2020. Did it feel that incredible to you? Did it take, uh, did you take some space to like, be like, wow, I just put together a really incredible year. Yeah, I think, um, I felt like I had really, and I kind of still feel like I had really mixed emotions about that year. I think, um, at the beginning of the year, uh, I raced at, uh, the challenge Miami race in March and I had probably one of the worst races of my career. And after it, I was absolutely distraught, like embarrassingly distraught that I just, like, I couldn't get myself together. I was just so disappointed in myself. And I hadn't really been focused in training. Like I had, my mind was on other things. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't really sure how I felt about the year. Was I, did I have it in me to, to train for another Ironman, you know, after not training really for a, 12 months and, and doing an Ironman block, uh, 
of training, like you forget how much it takes. And I just was starting to question if I had it um, and if I could, yeah, like mentally just get myself back in that, in that place to like do an Ironman build. And as the year started going and races started, uh, you know, going off and, and we kind of formulated, I guess, a, a plan of what, what races would be possible. Uh, we went to Park City. I had a pretty uh, intense and solid um, training camp. Um, well, we, we only actually meant to stay there for six weeks. We ended up staying there for the whole summer. We spent like 12 weeks there. So it was um, that that training camp was probably uh, one of the most important, I think, in my in my career. I've had really good training camps in Switzerland in the past, but this one, I, I just needed it so much and I was reluctant to go. I was, you know, after you'd been at home for 12 months and hadn't really traveled, I really didn't want to leave, but my husband and coach, Scott, he pushed us to go and that was what really got me focused to to get to Coeur d'Alene. And I really had no idea how I was going to go and if I was even going to get through the race. Like I hadn't raced you know what it's like. I mean, you, you're both very well established Ironman races and you know how it feels when you haven't raced it for a long time. That first one, there's always a big question mark of like, how am I, how am I going to handle it? And yeah, I just like everything fell into place that day. I, th I think we all, we'll know that um, in our careers, like you only ever have a, a very small number of those days where everything just seems to go your way. And I think that one Coeur was definitely one for me. I was very emotional afterwards. My husband, like I said, Scott, he told me that, well, he, he said a few times over the last 18 months that it was always, he, he would always tell me, Kaz, you like, you may never win another Ironman. So, yeah. But you did. Yeah. Is he telling you that just because racing is getting so fast and like changing and evolving and, you know, like, you know, I mean, with him coaching you, he's seeing what you're doing day in, day out too, right? Like literally the by the numbers. And so yeah. there, and there is a question mark, I guess, at some point when we see what racing has become. It is. And that's exactly it. Like he knows how, how fast the girls are. And um, like I'm older, I'm 41 now. And he keeps reminding me of that. <laughs> he keeps reminding me. Um, and I think... Yeah, the, like he could see how I – he sees me every day. Like he saw how I was training him. He, he could see like how much it was taking out of me. And, um, yeah, I think w he's always been very good at choosing races that suit me. I think that's really helped, um, you know, in how I've performed in my career over the last kind of four years. We were – we were just getting to know where, what courses suited me and when I started to come good in the year in terms of like training and, and how I was starting to respond to the sessions that he would give me early in the year. I would never, I would never respond very well, but as we progressed through the year and then we get to a training camp in the middle of the year, I would, I would all of a sudden be able to put together really solid weeks. And then we would face the the race calendar really heavily around that June through September kind of time frame where I was a hundred percent focused and 
it was it was training and racing and that's where Coeur d'Alene fell Ember Man fell and then uh the Collins Cup um and then Hawaii was cancelled so, so that was kind of a blow for the year can you talk a little bit about the training camp like what makes that special versus training at home it's it's always something that I could never really understand until I've I've been away from it because I would always think, well, why can't I just do, I can just do this training at home. It's just that you're in such a focused environment. There is, there is no distractions. Like all you do is train, recover, train, recover, train, rest, you know, eat and rest. So I think it's just that you're there and you're focused and you're around your training partners who are giving everything every day as well. Like that's all you do for, um, you know, 12, well, we often did it for eight to 12 weeks. Um, we often do choose to go to places that have a higher altitude. Uh, many years we went to Switzerland where we lived at probably, on, I think the altitude was about 4,500 feet. So it wasn't that high, um, but Park City is obviously quite high you're at 7,000 feet and you're riding to 9,000 feet. So I think that is a, I respond very well to, to altitude camps. So that for me, it's just being in that focused training environment and um, just putting that extra stress on your body that my body that I've always responded really well to them. And I think not everyone responds well to the, the training camp or the altitude environment. I think it just, or you, they only, can be focused in camp for four weeks and then you they'll go away and race and yes it's um it's it's been a hundred percent what has made the difference in my racing over the last probably eight years like when we were consistently going to training camps each year it was um it made a huge difference and Carrie, I'd love to hear more about Emberman. This is not your first time there in 2021, and you've returned to it because we know that you're not one to shy away from the toughest courses, which that definitely has the reputation of being. I was trying to find the stats, and I found one that said there's 4,500 meters of climbing on the bike, and I actually think that's correct. That is <laughs> correct. Read something like that and be like, that's not pro that's probably 4,500 feet, but like, no. no, I think that's meters. So, should this race be on all our bucket lists? Like, can anyone, you know, for our listeners out there? what you know how achievable is this for someone who you know has raced Ironman Louisville right or something like that or you know um tell us more about that it's I always tell people there's two bucket list races that if you ever had the chance to do it would be Emberman and Alpe d'Huez they're both absolutely incredible races and races that like it's the 100% bucket list races you'll never forget it um but Emberman, and like I mentioned before, it's one of those courses where Scott, he he just knew how I, he knew how I would train, what would motivate me. He knew what courses would suit me, and this is where we honed in on um, the races like Emberman, Alpe d'Huez, Ironman Nice. Like I like a hilly bike course, um, and like really challenging. So Emberman is, it is such an incredible race. It doesn't attract a lot of females. 
because it's very difficult. And also there's just in France, like the number of men that do triathlon to, to, sorry, men that do triathlon versus women do triathlon. There's just such a, it's just very male dominated. So, um, it starts with a swim in the dark. You start in the dark and like for the women, there's probably about 80 women and there's about a thousand men. So for us, it's really nice. You get a nice clean start in the dark. Um, it's, it's pretty scary and you do two laps. The first lap is completely pitch black and you just follow a little light on the back of a kayak. Um, and then the second lap is beautiful because the sun starts coming up and it like you see the sunrise on the mountain as you're swimming in the lake. So it's really just absolutely picturesque. It's um, beautiful. And then bike course is very hilly. It goes over the Col de Izard, which is one of the famous passes in um, the Tour de France. So that's why what that's what makes a lot of these races in France super cool because you ride over a lot of the like the famous passes that um they ride in the tour so um it's very challenging it's um it's a bike course where if you firstly don't like riding in the mountains or if your bike skills aren't uh i guess um of a if you're not if you're not a confident bike handler it's not it's not a course uh probably that you want to attempt or if you are going to attempt it, uh, you need to obviously um, get try and go, get try and go over there <laughs> early and ride the course and kind of get a pulse on it. Or you really need to just be riding in an area where, you know, you can practice your bike skills. Um, so, yeah, it's just it's it's one of the biggest Ironmans in iron distance races in, in France. And it is 100% known for how challenging it is. Uh, but also, I mean, the satisfaction of finishing it is uh, it's greater than any other Ironman that I've ever raced. So definitely a bucket list race. My only suggestion is know your bike handlings. <laughs> Carrie, we talk about these races that you've excelled in, the, the hardest, the toughest, the hottest, the windiest. And I think we've, we read that Growing up in Australia, you were actually a sprinter, a sprint runner, and you had a personal best in the 100-meter dash of 11.7 seconds and 23.9 seconds in the 200-meter run. So when you were a kid, I mean, were you into long distance or was it all about fast and short? And when did when did the endurance show up? Yeah, I, I was running 100, well, uh, all through primary school, I think I was running. I think I started running in, I think they you do the 60 meter run in grade one. That was where I started my sprinting career. Um, and I just, I was always focused 100% on sprinting. I did not do any long distance running, probably up until I was uh, early 20s. I just, I was um, purely running track uh, until I was 19. And then, yeah, there was no, I didn't really see, I wasn't, I didn't see a career for myself in track. And I also, I just wasn't really interested in, in a career in a professional running. Um, so 
after I stopped running, I just started participating in like the local fun runs. I think I, my first was like a 10 K. Um, and then I started going to the gym to keep fit. I was always a really active kid growing up and I was always active through high school and, and right up until, you know, I stopped running track. So I needed something to fill the void. So I was doing fun runs, going to the gym and I met a group of ladies that did the local triathlon series in Queensland, Australia. And that was when I did my very first triathlon. It was a 200 meter swim, a seven kilometer bike and a two kilometer run. And it was over so fast. I was like, okay, well, when's the next one? <laughs> like I should have done, I should have done the longer distance. I was never, yeah, I, was, I never liked the short ones. I was like immediately wanted to go to the longer one and then to the longer one. And then I think within a year I was, you know, attempting the half Ironman. So yeah, it was, it was a quick progression of the, interesting I should have liked the shorter ones because coming from the sprint background but I was I like the long distance have you ever had a sprint finish in an Ironman distance race no because I mean I don't want to be in a sprint finish for someone who's can run (laughs) 11.7 seconds in the 100 meters I know I've never had one I mean I was always waiting for one I never had one do you feel confident? Like, is that something we'd be like, oh man? Well, actually, like- I'll take that back. I, I'll take that back because in Kona uh, 2019, I was in seventh place and I was going into the finish shoot and I was passed by Corinne Abram, but no one knew she was there. Oh. So no one, I didn't know. I was like, I was, I was, I thought I had the clear run and I was like, just enjoying the finish line and no and I didn't know that she was there I didn't look behind me and no one in the crowd was telling me so if I had have known that could have been my one sprint finish oh that's worse and when she when she passed me it was like I didn't even have enough time to respond because I was like what the hell (laughs) no that is like a worse thing we're just thinking about the Boston Marathon was like last week and obviously that came down to like a pretty close finish and um oh Texas this last weekend, the men's race came down to a pretty close finish. I just think I, I'm like, yeah. you know, you have that in you still <laughs> that, um, that speed training, it has to be in there somewhere. So hopefully yeah. if it does it's happen, definitely there, it's definitely there. I just need to know when to use it. <laughs> and Carrie, when you were starting to get into triathlon, then, um, was this overlapping with, I believe in your post-university life, you were actually kind of living like a normal human corporate lifestyle. Right. And so was that the time, and you've talked a little bit about how that was just like pretty rigorous though, as you started to do triathlons more and you were burning the candle kind of at both ends, it sounds like to meet the demands of career and and training. So, you know, after you did the first half Ironman, was that where things really picked up and, you know, you started to be trying to balance both or was it pretty clear right away for you when you were doing triathlon that like, okay, I didn't want to be a professional track runner, but maybe this triathlon thing could be a good fit. Yeah, I think um, it took, I was working uh, full time for an insurance company and I was pretty much balancing um, just triathlon and working full time. And I wasn't even thinking about really giving up, uh, you know, my, my job to go full time triathlon. I was just enjoying trying new races. I didn't uh, really have a coach at the time. So I was starting to look at, you know, coaching options, where was the best place to train. Uh, and then 
yeah, like how I was going to manage, manage my job as well. Uh, but, um, I think I've always been interested in sport. I think early in, in high school, you know, when I was starting to think about what I wanted to do post high school and when I, what I wanted to do in college, you know, I was looking down like physiotherapy kind of role, sports nutrition. I wanted to do something, you know, involved in sport. And my parents were very much of the mindset that you need to go to like business, like you need to look at business management, marketing, where that's where like you'll always have a job. They, they were very much in that. They didn't even consider like sport as, as an option for me after after high school. So I was sitting in that office and I was definitely, definitely not interested in um, that job and, and what it was going to do for me in like long term. I just, I, I didn't see a path there for me. And as I started doing more triathlons and I got stronger and I found coaching uh, and I just became so much more passionate about it, I was like, well, um, maybe I should try and work part-time so I could spend more time training and that's what I did and then it just I slowly over the years wound back the amount that I was working and then I was doing more training and yeah it just it all fell into place. And so I think you made your pro debut around 2010 and the triathlon landscape and sponsorship has changed quite drastically since 2010. And so I'm curious about your take on that, like how you've seen things evolve throughout your career. And also, you know, your advice for the pros that you coach now, is it different than the advice you would have taken or given to yourself more than a decade ago? Well, there's definitely been a shift in, uh, I guess, um, I was never, uh, into social media or anything in the beginning of my career. And I think that's been the biggest change that I've seen in the 10 years that I've been, you know, racing triathlon. Uh, actually, sorry, I've been racing triathlon for like 15 years, um, professional for 10 years. So uh, the social media has been the number one thing that has, has changed, I guess, in terms of sponsorships and what sponsors uh, expect from you. So um, when I was racing, you know, early in my professional years, it was 100% performance-based. You know, they didn't even, I was never even spoken to about social media and I wasn't even on social media. So that has been the biggest change for me. And it's also the one that we uh, see the most in, uh, and when we talk to our developing pros, it's the one that, we, I guess, we encourage to be the most cautious about in terms of how it can place expectations on athletes, particularly in development years, about um, being present on social media to try and gain sponsorship rather than just focusing on training and um, letting that kind of dictate uh, how you get sponsorships rather than you know, just spending all of your time on social media and and trying to get sponsors that way. Get out there, train hard, be consistent, and then put some performances down so sponsors can 
you know, put something to your name and then, and then you can start developing the social media. I think that's been one of the biggest changes uh, that I've seen in the sport. And what about the, sorry, sorry, Haley, I was just, I was just going to say, which has been the hardest, I guess, for athletes like myself who aren't very, um, you know, I guess public on, on the platforms. We, I, I know there's others, other women and men like around kind of my, I guess, era, <laughs> if you want to, if you want to call it that, but you know, we, we still like to keep to ourselves. Like we didn't have it in the beginning and we still don't like, we still just find it hard to put everything out there. And very much I do the training and then I let, I let that talk for me rather than putting all my life out on social media. So it's, uh, it's hard. Do you feel like you've lost out on sponsor opportunities because you don't have a YouTube channel, even though you're winning races? Uh, yes. (laughs) And, and that's, and that's been our choice. And that's been our choice. Uh, we could have, and we, we could have, you know, we, we could have made a YouTube channel, and I've considered it, but like both Scott and I are very much in that position where we just, you know, we live very much, you know, in the present moment. We don't, we don't want to record our whole lives and, and put it out there on, you know, YouTube channels or um, Instagram or, you know, any of those platforms. It's just, we don't want it to dictate our life. And um it's been, yeah, we've, we've for sure lost out on sponsorships or we have not been paid as much in sponsorships because we don't provide that kind of uh, content for people. But, yeah, that's that's the choice that, that we made. And what about uh, – I want to ask just a bit about even the racing landscape as far as uh, PTO points and Kona qualifications and then making decisions to race – uh, races like Ember Man that don't have any chance of qual- Kona qualification, who are not on the Ironman circuit. How have you balanced that throughout your career? Because you are an athlete who seems like you've excelled at, at every discipline. You've done well within PTO. You raced at the Collins Cup. You've also done very well in Kona. Is that a conscious decision or is it just doing races that light your fire? We definitely have learned over the last number of years how to kind of structure my race schedule and what like I said like which races are going to suit me we start the year pretty slowly it probably it takes me uh probably three to four months to kind of start to get going in the year and that's kind of lies around June for me I really start to kind of find form in June to August so we usually try and pick one of the first Ironmans to be around May or June. And then we pick, uh, we try and schedule races throughout the summer where I'll have one or two A races. And then we have the few that fall in between those that are either going to benefit me for Kona or they're going to benefit me for, you know, one of the other races. So Emberman has always been an interesting one because uh, I've had a lot of uh, uh, friends uh, and uh, some fellow athletes sometimes have told me to to skip Emberman because it's too close to Kona. And 
we have always thought of the exact opposite in that that race for me basically lay, lays the foundation for Kona. So we've always gone an Ironman in June, an Emberman, second Ironman, and then by Kona, I'm usually like at pretty much peak form. And that's how we've structured the year. And then we always, depending on how I'm feeling at the end of the year, if I have one more in me, we try and go to, well, there's only really two to choose from, uh, Cozumel, Arizona. And we will always pick, you know, the one that I'm suited for, which is Cozumel. Hot weather, good flat bike course, fast bike course. Uh, yeah, and, and it's, it's a challenging race. It's, that, it's, it's weird because you go to Cozumel and you think, oh, it's going to be an easy race. It's all flat. It's actually one of the hardest races I've ever done. So, yeah. And Carrie, uh, recently, while you don't share too much on Instagram, you did write on Instagram that <laughs> there comes a time in professional sport when you realize it's not just about you anymore. And so we talked to you a little bit about, you know, coaching fellow pros and things like that. But, you know, I kind of want to ask you a little bit about the why behind the squad that you've built um, with your husband, Scott T. Philippus. And, you know, this is based out of San Diego and it's a, you know, you have your pro squad, you have an age group squad kind of backing that too. And I want the listeners to kind of understand how big this really is, right? For a couple who's making a living in a sport where the living is pretty tough, right? It's not easy to resources and money aren't just falling out of the sky and all of our laps. That's for mm -hmm. sure. So you really have to hustle. And, you know, like you said, like you're not maybe doing the YouTube channel route, but you're putting your hustle into building something to give something pretty incredible back to the sport by giving pros mentorship, right? And coaching a, a squad of age groupers and things like that. So, you know, when did you and Scott like really start to talk about what that could be and what it would look like? And, you know, why was it important to you both to be kind of laying groundwork and getting that up and running for these years? Yeah, I think um, Scott has been coaching uh, for, well, he was coaching back in the Team TBB days. So he's probably been coaching now for maybe 12 years. So uh, I was a little later. I started uh, coaching athletes in about 2006 and I was only uh, coaching probably three to five athletes at the most because I was so heavily engrossed in my own training that I, I just couldn't give any more time to other athletes. Even five was... Um, difficult for me. I like to give my athletes as much of my attention as I can. We do fully customized programs for athletes. So they do take time. Um, and that's, and that was all I could manage. So as my career has gone on and, uh, Scott retired himself from racing triathlon in 2020 with COVID, uh, we both kind of started thinking about, okay, well now we really want to get this squad off the ground here in San Diego. We were spending more time here. Uh, we started, we had Brittany, Molly, and we have another uh, young uh, development athlete, Sebastian Radia. He's uh, 19. So we started to kind of have a little bit of a squad going here. And then we really started to kind of form you know, what we wanted to be is our kind of 
professional developing pro squad. So we've always looked at, um, if you're familiar with Team TBB, that was um, Brett Sutton and Alex Bach. That team was pretty much, it was very dominant in triathlon back in 2010. Um, and I started racing with that team, uh, I think in 2010 and was with them until the team broke up in 2013 or 2014. But that team was very much modeled around, it was a professional development team and we had X number of sponsors where the athletes could earn commission through, you know, making sales of, of the, those sponsors products. So that's kind of what we were starting to think we could do with our team here is that we, we have, we've been able to retain uh, all of the same sponsors from last year. Some of those sponsors have a commission program. Our athletes, um, the development athletes can sell those products and then we'll be able to give a kickback to them, which helps support them in their training, racing, um, getting them to races, you know, whatever they need. So, Team TBB, back in the day, we were some of the athletes you could get. They offered a salary, uh, commission on um, sponsorship products. So it paved the way for athletes to, you know, be able to not work and, you know, chase their dreams and go to races and just support themselves without having the stress of where they were going to get, uh, you know, their income from when, it's really hard as a developing pro to make to make money at races and we think okay well how can we how can we support that and this was our way of doing it really we basically took that model that we were a part of when we started triathlon it 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 basically made our career um without that to be able to help us when when we started racing professionally both Scott and I uh we you know, we really would have struggled. And so would many of the other members who were on the team at the time. We had Caroline Stephan, Mary Beth Ellis, James Kunemar. We had, it was a really stacked team of athletes, but everyone, everyone needed it. We were all, you know, we we're all trying to, to survive. And, um, you know, that was, that's basically what we're, you know, trying to, to create for our athletes. We are also backed by an age group team, which is great. So, uh if we have uh, relationships with our sponsors then our age group athletes can purchase our products and um you know it allows us to get you know a kickback as well which we can share with our athletes so we're just trying to create an environment for them to to basically make their career and Carrie, we know you are not racing in St. George in just a couple of weeks, but a lot of us are very excited about the Ironman World Championships ha happening there. And you have raced the 70.3 in St. George. You've done very well there. And so I'm, I'm curious about what you think about the course, what you think about the Ironman World Championships happening there. Do you have any advice for our listeners or possibly uh, podcast co-hosts who are, happen to be racing there? <laughs> Tell me what to do. Tell me all your secrets. The, the water's going to be cold, okay? The water's going to be cold. Be ready. I can handle that. But how do I how do I challenge your uh or ch channel your bike uh prowess on that course? Yeah, it's um it's certainly going to be a challenging one and I am if you know I actually think that if I this would be a better course for me to race at a world championship over the 
the uh, the Kona Ironman course. So I'm a little I'm a little disappointed there, and um, I decided to uh, I guess after Cozumel um, I needed I needed a break. Uh, I was finding that um, during that race I was really um, just struggling to uh, I guess motivate myself I was I was not really motivated going into the race after the Hawaii being cancelled last year I kind of lost a bit of uh, steam there and motivation and I found at the end of the year I was just really exhausted by it all and um, to be honest we Scott and I have been really uh, thinking and considering strongly about starting a family. We've wanted, you know, we were always of the opinion that, uh, you know, I would race until kind of 40, 41. And then, you know, we would, we would think about, you know, starting a family and, and we're at that point. So that is why I decided not to race St. George. I haven't been training very much. I think I've cut my training down from about 25 hours a week to about 10 hours a week at the moment. And we're trying. Uh, we haven't had success yet, but we are still trying. Uh, but it, it's hard to sit back and make that choice, but it was it's the right time for us. And uh, so hopefully we will have some more success that we can discuss in, in the coming months. But at the moment, we're, we're still trying, and that's the reason I'm not going to be in St. George. But I will be there. We have athletes racing, and it, we – certainly we certainly need to be there to to cheer them on and give them support because it is going to be a very difficult course I think I did the the half Ironman there in May last year and that was a really difficult course uh, so the Ironman um, is definitely going to be one of those courses where it's uh, survival of the fittest <laughs> and um, I guess yeah like bike course is, is going to be very challenging. Uh, I don't know the full course. I have, like I said, I've only done half Ironman, so I don't know uh, the full Ironman course. I know Scott did it um, years ago when they had the full Ironman there, and he said it was like the one of the hardest bike courses that he's ever done. So I think it's going to be very challenging, and I think patience is going to be the number one um, thing that, is going to make a difference between a good day and a really bad day. I think you just have to be really patient, pace yourself very um, well early on in the race and just be ready to be in a battle with yourself out there, you know, on, on the run. It's going to be a very difficult course. Um, run course is hilly. And, um, yeah, I think if I, I'd love to be out there. I'm going to – I'm very interested to see how it folds out because – no one's no one's raced an Ironman uh, in a world championship over a course like this. It's a completely unknown course for people. So, I, I yeah, it's going to be really interesting to watch for sure. How are you guys feeling? Ready? Uh, <laughs> I feel <as laughs> ready, ready to tackle it. I feel as ready as I can be. Yeah, I mean, I feel I feel ready for a good, a hard effort, and I feel like you know, like you've alluded to, like being a little bit more of a veteran myself, like having some patience like that, the patient racing is might be a little bit on my side. I want to be 
a little less patient than I was in Coeur d'Alene, but I'm hopeful it's not as hot as that race last year. I'm still trying to cool off from that one, but I'm like, okay, surely yeah. if I made it through that heat, um, hopefully it's not as hot. And I, I don't know. I'm excited, but also like very, I I'm, I'm like cautiously nervous. Cause I know what's coming. Yeah, I think you're right. I think we'll see the definitely the more experienced races having really good races. But like I said, I mean, no one really knows what to expect. And uh, I think that's that's the key. Like you don't know what to expect. So I would for sure err, err on the side of caution there a little bit and just go, you know, 100% you know, within your own limit. Don't, don't you know, don't be crazy for the first half of the bike going, oh my God, it's so beautiful because it is, you can get a hundred percent carried away and it's a world championship and the course is stunning. And then all of a sudden you'll hit halfway in the bike and go, oh my God, this course is ridiculous. So patience. Talking about it has me excited to be spectating. I have spectated quite a few years in Kona and getting to watch that race unfold is always just, I mean, there's nothing like it getting to go up on Queen K highway and just like watch it all unfold and watch the battles go down. So I am having a little bit of FOMO already. Like maybe I should be booking a ticket to St. George or something. Like, I don't know. Come out, come out. I know, but (laughs) even for our age group listeners who are, you know, hearing this advice, patience, I think like such good advice, Carrie, because, you know, I think a lot of people get wrapped up in these last few weeks with training and a certain session that didn't go as planned and things like that. But you just have to remember that patience is a skill, right? That you don't have to run at X pace on a treadmill to develop, right? Like that is something that everyone has within them and everyone can hone. And you, you have to like embrace that, I think for Ironman racing in general, but definitely, like you said, on a a course like St. George, I think it it is going to come into play. And so everyone should take the power of that, like as some confidence, because if you play your cards right with that, right, then you you can have a very good day. So, oh, I'm excited to watch it all unfold now. But I hopefully think, yeah, they have like the, I think with Outside Plus, it's going to be on. And it seems like the I think it's going to be on Peacock. It's going to oh, be on Peacock. Yeah. And, like, oh, and then okay. and Facebook. I don't okay. know. I got an email. <laughs> I should know I'm these hopeful, things. Yeah, I'm, I'm hopeful they've dialed in how they're going to be doing the the virtual spectating for those of us out here too. So, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we will have that for our listeners. We will look up that information and have it for all of our listeners. But I think it's going to have pretty good coverage, is my understanding. So fingers crossed. But, but Carrie, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us. Um, you you kind of shared then your plans for the upcoming season. And we, we wish you all the best. I think probably as athletes, it's hard to kind of switch gears and go into something that you can't really like train really hard to have it be successful, right? You just kind of nice. let things fall into place and it's a little bit more out of control than yeah. what we're used to. It's definitely, it's definitely not as easy, you know, when you're in your early forties, <laughs> I think, you know, 10 years ago, you barely needed to hold hands with someone and then bang. <laughs> but yeah, 10 years later and yeah, it's, it's not as, it's not as easy as it, it sounds, but we're, we're definitely, um, we're we're ready for it and i i really hope that i would um be able to come back and race after you know we were able to have you know our first our first baby i um i still feel like i'm just as strong as i was before i kind of started taking a break although i'm very unfit 
but I do every now and then feel like, oh my God, I'm just going to, I'm just going to start training again. But Scott keeps reminding me, no, Carrie, no, like this is, this is the time. So, and I am a hundred percent in agreement with him, but I just need the reminder that, you know, yeah, just put it on the racing is just on hold for just a little while. And then, and then when I'm ready, then hopefully I'll be, I'll be able to come back. And I'm excited to, to try and come back and race for a different purpose, you know, rather than just racing for myself, you know, I'd really like to, to be that mom, you know, with that, with their baby waiting there at the finish line. So well, as you get antsy, you can just pull out your, your quarter lane trophy or something from last <laughs> year and just like, be like, Oh yeah, I remember how hot that day was. Maybe I'll just keep relaxing for a while. <laughs> yeah. That, that was horrible. It was horrible. I don't want to go back there. <laughs> I don't want to go well, back our listeners to that. Are be like, man, That's don't really want to am how I am right now. It's one of the best races out there, everyone. So don't, don't, yeah. Take it was, it was, it was very fun. <laughs> It was definitely fine. And what's even worse is uh, they the Ironman is back in Montremblant this year. It was another race I absolutely love and I'm dying to go back to. And, uh, yeah, I have to put that one on hold as well. So trust me, there's a lot. The, the fire is definitely starting to burn. I just have to keep it under control here. <laughs> well, thanks so much, Carrie, and we wish you all the best, and we'll hopefully catch up with you again soon. Thank you. Good luck in St. George. Alyssa, we've talked a lot in the recent weeks about sprint finishes and uh, hearing Carrie's story about Corinne Abraham pipping her right at the line. She didn't even realize it was coming, made me cringe and also like, oh, bummed because Carrie didn't get to show off her sprinting speed. But I am curious, have you ever had a sprint finish in an Ironman? I have, Haley. Haley, I've actually had two. The first one was as an age grouper for my first Kona spot. I, there was like, it wasn't quite a sprint finish because it was probably like a quarter mile. You had to like, we raced the last quarter mile. And so by the finish shoot, it was pretty well decided, but that was like the closest I had come. And then Haley, I think it's 2017. Iron- did you win? Did you oh, win? Who did? I won. I won that. And I got the Kona spot. Okay. So that was very exciting. It was like thrilling. And I was like, whew, this is great. And I am not a 23 second, 200 sprinter for everyone <laughs> to know. Um, so, but the second one, this is like a, it's like an embarrassing career highlight, but it's like a fun, one of the funnest stories I have out of professional racing is that 2017, I was doing a double and I had raced. I want to say like, people can fact check me on this. I want to say I had like raced Ironman, Copenhagen or something, or maybe I was, I don't know. I was doing a double and Ironman Switzerland was the second race I was doing. And so I was like tired. Right. And just really tired. Right. And you want that race to go well. You want like the whole two weeks to like get a couple paychecks, make it worth your while to be like doing these back-to-back, um, Ironmans. And it's really hard. And I was not doing great, but I knew I was like barely like just out of the money for most of the run, right? Like I knew I was just out of that sixth spot, which was the one that got you $650. And I was like, I really want the $650. So I'm running, 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 right? And I honestly didn't think I had run anyone down. I thought I knew I had been getting close because that course had out and backs. But then I like kind of got there and I was like, oh, I'm not. And then I turned the corner for the finish shoot and it was a long finish shoot. And there was like huge grandstands, Ironman Switzerland. And the Swiss, like, Swiss, 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 like, sweetheart of all people, Haley, the legendary Natasha Bodman, 
who had been doing her retirement farewell race at Ironman Switzerland is still in the finish shoot. And she's going very slowly, Haley, because she is like high-fiving. She's kissing babies. She's waving to the crowd. She's celebrating her massively like impressive like Iron seven Man times career. Kona yeah. winner. I mean, at least like, right? She won. She's like won everything. I mean, yeah, at least once, if not like three times, right? So, I mean, <laughs> so I see that, and I mean, Haley, I'm in race mode. I I just see that paycheck at the finish line, and I was like, I can I can do this. I can I can sneak by her essentially. But so she like I I don't know if she realized I was coming, but she she definitely like stops kissing the babies and comes back to shoot and starts running. And then I just had the momentum because she was like coming back into the like running area and I just had been building my speed. Right. So I was, I mean, literally in the last, did you like lean steps, across the line? I'll have to <laughs> dig up. I'll share this. I'll dig up the pictures. I'm sure I have them and I'll um, share it on my like Instagram story or something for the day because I, there's like a three photo series that finisher picks got me that I bought after the race because it was like, you can see me probably 10 meters behind her, up like like, number one, <laughs> then two meters behind her. And then literally I want to say her, I mean, I could just be exaggerating the story in my head, but I want to say like, I'm like, her hands are like up almost. And she's, I'm like ducking under, like, I mean, the last photo in the series is like priceless as I'm literally like ducking under her to try and get to the line first. And I did. And I got sixth place and I got $650 for that race daily. And racing is racing. End of story. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, it is. It's never over till the finish line. I, uh, yeah. And I, I've thought about it a lot. A legend. I know. because, And I thought about it a lot because you tell people that and they're like, oh, listen. And I'm like, well, racing's right. Also, I'm like, Natasha Botman can literally do anything she wants at an Ironman finish. Like she can break the rules, right? She could have gone to the line and finished and then been like, oh, but now I want to go kiss the babies, right? And then I could have run in behind her kissing. I don't care what she was doing. I mean, she's Natasha Botman. She can kiss all the babies while I'm finishing. That's fine. But if she hadn't crossed that line yet, I was going to go for it. So, um, but since then I haven't had another one, but I don't know if I'll ever be able to top that. There, there's no <laughs> way that there's no way you could top that, but, um, impressive story. And, uh, maybe, you know, I, I mean, yeah, maybe it doesn't take 23 second, 200 speed to get to actually win the sprint finish, but, uh, definitely exciting when that does happen. Um, uh, as long as you aren't Natasha or Carrie, <laughs> circumstances the moral of the story is cross the line then kiss the babies yes but, and maybe take um, one look back like when you're you're going for the you know i feel like you're gonna be like super high up in utah kona you're gonna be like oh my god i'm having the race of my life like let's not then have the sprint finish the right? so you're gonna like take a look back and make sure you can enjoy everything that's coming for you in saint george yeah, take a look back. I know there's no shame in that. Um, Alyssa, it's great chatting with you as always. I will talk to you next week from from Utah. From Utah. So exciting. Utah, Kona. Safe so travels. Have a great week. Talk to you later. Bye, Alyssa. Bye, Haley. You have been listening to the Iron Women podcast hosted by Haley Chura and Alyssa Gadeski. Iron Women is a production of Feisty Media and is edited and produced by Lindsay Glassford. Head to livefeisty.com to find more podcasts, events, stories, and fresh perspectives. Thanks for listening.
Alyssa, Amino Co. has been a longtime podcast sponsor. And every time I'm listening to the show and I hear our Amino Co. ad, I'm always shocked to hear how Amino Co. co-founder Dr. Robert Wolf has run a marathon in under two hours and 30 minutes, 62 times. I just can't believe that's a real stat. Me either. It is very impressive and it gives me a lot of confidence. Dr. Wolf knows what he's talking about when it comes to performance and recovery. I actually took AminoCo Heal before and after my recent knee surgery. I've been using Heal a lot after really big workouts as I've started to ramp up my training. And I also use my personal favorite, AminoCo Perform, before and during my hardest sessions. Do you have a favorite flavor? For Perform, I definitely go with the strawberry lemonade. It has a really light flavor and a little bit of caffeine that I think helps keep me focused during my really tough intervals. And for heel, I like vanilla. I just feel like vanilla gets me into recovery mode. What about you? The vanilla heel is my favorite too. I find it mixes really well into my post-workout shakes that I make. Wait, what do you put in your shakes? Well, oftentimes just whatever I have in the fridge, sometimes vegetables, sometimes collagen, you know, whatever I have. Summer shakes are way more interesting because it's like I make them cold. But the winter shakes are a little less fancy. Do you ever add snow to your winter shakes? <laughs> I mean, I'm going to start doing that now. <laughs> I don't know, maybe make sure it's clean snow. I am not quite as fancy. I just add water. It, I think it still works pretty well. But uh, well, however you like your Amino Co, you can rest assured that in clinical trials, muscle protein synthesis from exercise more than doubled by athletes using Perform and Heal was shown to trigger muscle growth and repair better than other high quality protein sources. Head to aminoco.com slash ironwomen to see very large photos of me and Haley using Aminoco products. Then select your favorite products and use code ironwomen for 30% off at checkout. First time purchases also come with a free gift. That's aminoco.com forward slash ironwomen and code ironwomen for 30% off. All right, Alyssa, I'm like starting to swim more again. And I feel like you were swimming a lot last year with, oh, with one water. And how did you keep your hair from getting so destroyed? I was swimming so much last year. And I used try hard, Kelly, and I still swear by it. They have extensively researched this problem and created a superior vegan, dermatologically tested proprietary blend. Try hard has shampoo, conditioner, body wash, and more stuff. Everything you're going to need for your pre and post swim necessities. I've also seen that top pros like Chelsea Sodaro and Lucy Charles Barkley also praise the effectiveness of try hard. I think it's like it's definitely changed how good I feel just coming out of chlorine. And we have a code right now too, for anyone who wants to try, you know, try, try hard and stop suffering from dry, itchy skin, having their hair get all, you know, green, which happens to me because mine's like super blonde and get all beat up. You can try any of the TryHard products with the code 20FEISTY, that's 20FEISTY, for 20% off store-wide at tryhard.co. So that's 20FEISTY for 20% off at tryhard.co. Chasing Epic is the essence of the Orca brand. It is about seeking the moments in life that make us feel truly alive and connected with the beauty of the world around us. 
And let's be real, chasing Epic is feisty. Orca has been a longtime partner of Feisty, and we work with them year after year because we love their products and their commitment to creating amazing wetsuits made for women. They also supported me on Team USA last year at the One Water Race, which was most definitely also chasing epic. With Orca's range of triathlon wetsuits, including Apex and Athlex, you can choose between flexibility, buoyancy, or a combination of both. There's a wetsuit for every triathlete and for all of your epic adventures. And as a feisty listener, you can get 15% off with the code IRONWOMEN15 at orca.com.